This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Dungeon Master's Handbook. I'm Michael Shorten, Chicago Wiz. Glad you're here with me. So they say that third time's the charm, and apparently we're going to find out if that's true, because this will be the third time that I have tried to record this podcast. We are going to be talking about Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Combat, specifically Surprise and Initiative for this episode. And it's not that the topic is so hard, but for whatever reason, I have found it very hard to get a decent episode in. Uh, the first time I recorded it, took me a couple of days to record all of that I wanted to record. It ended up that while I got some good information out there, I sounded really condescending. And that's not how I like to sound. So, I tried again. I recorded this last night as I was in the middle of the night deployment for my uh, day job. And I was recording it in my office, which is in an open area. And for those of you who are experienced podcasters, you may know what I ran into, the dreaded echo. It was so terrible. The recording sounded muddy. It, it was just awful. And I tried to do everything I could with some tools to help correct it. And there was just no getting around it. I couldn't use that recording. So here we are, time number three. And come hell or high water, this is what you're going to get. So when I talk about Advanced Dungeons & Dragons by the book combat, this is for first edition and this is running as close to the rules as I can. Now, for the first nine years of my campaign, I've been running with a set of house rules that were based on a phased approach where everything had its time and place. And it worked well, but I always wondered what it would be like to actually run with real AD and what I considered real AD&D combat by the book combat. And so this past year, I took it upon myself to sit down and really look into the rules and learn them. And I did that in three steps. First, I went to the source material, the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Player's Handbook. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm not going to rehash it too much. It is somewhat of a scattered mess. Uh, some areas are hard to understand. But to help me understand it, I made use of a tool that you can use as well, and that is a game called Osric. Osric's a retro clone of the first edition rules. It was written in the mid-2000s, and its purpose was to be able to allow people to publish true first edition compatible materials under the open gaming license, or with a set of rules using the open gaming license. The nice thing about Osric is that it really puts into clear, concise language what the first edition AD&D rules were, and it's really easy to follow here. So between the two, I felt like I had a real good understanding of what first edition combat was like. The third thing I did was I came up with my own cheat sheet. And what I've got here is a 
one-page double-sided cheat sheet that breaks down the rules for me in an easy-to-understand format so that I can look at it at the table. Now, I should point out that if you're going to do this, there are some differences between Osric and First Edition, and we'll get into those as I go through uh, Surprise and Initiative and then future podcasts as I talk about uh, other aspects. All right, so let's hop into it. Let's talk about Surprise. Each side rolls to see if they're surprised. If they roll a one or two, then they are surprised for that number of surprise rounds or surprise segments, however you want to call it. So here, you just heard the dice roll. I rolled for the monsters, they rolled a one. I rolled for the players, they rolled a five. That means the monsters are going to be surprised for one round. Normally, that's about all you have to worry about. Who is surprised and for how long? Now, there may come a time when both parties are surprised. So let's say the players rolled a one and the monsters rolled a one as well. That means that both parties, players and monsters, are going to be surprised. And they're just going to kind of stare at each other like, duh. Now, let's say there's a difference. Let's say the party rolls a two and the monsters rolled a one. What that means is that both sides are surprised. The party is surprised for two surprise rounds. The monsters are surprised for one surprise round. If you really want to just make it simple, you just take the difference and the one who rolled higher is the one that's going to be surprised for that difference. So here, the party would be surprised for one round. Really? For the vast majority of circumstances, that's all you need to know about a D&D surprise. But, of course, there are some exceptions, so let's talk about those exceptions. One exception is if monsters have the ability to surprise you more. And let's take one of my favorite monsters, bugbears. I love bugbears because they are great grunts for mid-level PCs, you know, about fourth level to seventh level. The uh, bugbears have a hit die of three plus one, so they can take it and give it out pretty nicely. But the one thing about bugbears that I like is they surprise 50% of the time. What that means is instead of being surprised on a roll of one to two, now PCs, when they are facing bugbears, could be surprised on a roll of one to three, which can make bugbears perhaps very deadly. Let's say the PCs just rolled a three there. That means they're going to be surprised against the bugbears. The bugbears rolled a five. They're not surprised at all. Yes, that means the bugbears get three rounds of surprise combat, and the PCs aren't going to be very happy about that because that could potentially mean three attacks per bugbear. Ouch. Now, on the other hand, there is an interesting element that PCs, based on their class, can reduce how surprised they are. And we're talking about the ranger. Rangers are only surprised one in six. And the ranger's ability to be less surprised extends to the PCs when the ranger is with the PCs. So here I roll my dice. Players roll. They rolled a two. 
Monsters rolled a six. Now, normally, PCs are surprised on one or two and six, but in this case, because they got a ranger with them, they are not surprised and will go to regular combat. If you're DMing and you have a player that has a ranger, you're going to get used to remembering this and, you know, it, it'll become second nature to you. Now, there is, of course, the potential... <laughs> that you could have some weird combinations. You could have a monster like the bugbears that is attempting to surprise the players who have a ranger. And in that case, DM, all you're going to have to do is figure out the difference. Normally, PCs are surprised two and six. The bugbears will surprise them three and six, but because they have a ranger who's only surprised one and six, it goes back down to a two. Again, that's the exception, not the rule. So if you're DMing a ranger, you'll have this in the back of your head and, and you'll be okay with it. The other exception to, to surprise is if a player has a high enough dexterity that their bonus can reduce the effect of surprise. Let's take an example. Shoeless Joe is a human thief and they have a dexterity of 17, which gives them a reaction bonus of two. So although the party may be surprised on a one or two, Joe can negate those surprise rounds to themselves. Which means is, is that the monsters can react against members of the party as if they were surprised, but they can't do the same thing against Shoeless Joe. So in this case, what I would end up doing is, if that was the case, I would separate the combat. The monsters that were going to go against the party as the surprise, I would you know, deal with that. And then for the monsters that were gonna fight with Shoeless Joe, I would just end up doing a normal round using initiative. Here again, I've been talking a lot about the exceptions, not the rule. The rule generally is you're surprised on two and six. So if you roll a one or two for yourself, you're surprised. And that is all there is to know about surprise in AD&D. So now let's talk about initiative. And when we talk about initiative here, we're getting into that dreaded word segments. And when I started going through the rules, I had kind of a worry about what this segment thing was all about. But reading Osric and then going back through the AD&D rules and coming up with my cheat sheet here really helped me to understand that worrying about segments is the exception, not the rule. So let's talk about what initiative really is. It's pretty much like you've learned in any other D&D type game. The group that rolls the highest has initiative. So here the players rolled a two, the monsters rolled a four. That means the monsters have initiative and they can go first and they can do all the things that they need to do. That's the norm. However, like anything else, there are exceptions and magic and missiles are the two big exceptions. So one of the first things I'll do before we roll initiative is I will find out, is anyone casting spells or shooting missiles? If they are, then I have to think about segments potentially. And how does that work? Well, we'll go back to our example again. Players roll a three, monsters roll a four. Now the monsters won initiative because they rolled higher. They are going to go 
in the segment that the PCs rolled. So the PCs roll a three, that means the monsters go in segment three. The PCs will go in segment four. If the monsters are casting spells, they begin casting in segment three. And each spell has a casting duration. Some spells only take one segment to cast, like Magic Missile. Other spells take a lot longer to cast, and those will go off at some point during the round, but not when the PCs, or, or that group rather, not when that group is going. Generally what I do is I've got a little piece of paper, and I'll just jot this down, so that way I know what's going on when. And if the players are casting a spell, I will ask them what the duration of the spell is if I don't know it off the top of my head. Most of the time, you don't really have to worry about it. If the PCs are going first, and the monsters are going second, and the PCs are casting a spell, then generally the spells will go off after the PCs and monsters have their turn doing other things. When I really care about this is when the spell has some sort of a tactical advantage or there's the possibility that the spellcaster may be attacked themselves. Then that's when I'm going to care about tracking when the group is going, who is casting, how long it's going to take them to cast that spell so that when that spell will end. And then we'll go through the, uh, the round and, and do the things that we need to do. There are normally 10 segments in a round. And since you're rolling a D6 to determine when you're going to be going, the last four rounds generally are there for people who are going to hold initiative or people who are firing multiple shots in a round or people who are doing spells. So again, I'll use a scratch piece of paper. I'll kind of keep track of what's going on. And if it matters, I will sit down and do the math of figuring out who does what when. Generally, it doesn't take me all that long to do, and once I've kind of gotten used to it, it goes pretty quickly. That's the biggest exception, is spell casting. There's another exception, which is missile fire. And that really relates to, again, if a PC has a dexterity that gives them a bonus, and they're going to shoot missiles. Let's take an example where the PCs lose initiative. So the, so the PCs rolled a three, the monsters rolled a four. That means the monsters are going to go in segment three, the PCs are going to go in segment four. However, Shoeless Joe, who has the dexterity of 17, has a reaction bonus of two. And Shoeless Go goes, uh-uh, I'm shooting my bow and arrow. Because they have that bonus of two, they will actually, and they're shooting a missile, they will actually get to go in segment two, which is before the monsters. Again, this is the exception, not the rule. But because that might matter to the players tactically, I will figure it out, let the player do their thing, then the monsters do their thing, then the PCs do their thing, and so on. Here again, exception not rule it's just kind of being aware that there's this little twist to things but honestly it's not any more complicated than what i've seen like in fifth edition combat where you've got all sorts of things that can dictate when you go how you go you react to this you're triggered on that and so on one other thing that might come into effect is potion drinking 
Uh, it takes time to drink a potion. It takes time for that potion to uh, come in, you know, to, to take effect. The rules say that uh, it takes one segment to drink a potion. It takes two to five segments for that to take effect. Here again, if it matters tactically, I will do the math and, and calculate it out as to when exactly that potion will take effect and we'll go from there. But here again, that's the exception, not the rule. We've got one more thing to talk about with regards to initiative, and that's if we tie on initiative. The monsters rolled a four and the PCs rolled a four. What do we do at this point? And this is where another kind of uh, taboo or dreaded word comes into play, weapon speed. I guess it's not a word, it's a phrase. Um, weapon speed is a way for the DM to figure out who goes first when initiative is tied. And here again, this is one of those things that adds a little bit of the crunch to AD&D. Because those of us that play AD&D like to do so because there are those little extra crunchy bits that we like to add to our combat. And so what weapon speed does is it says that they who have faster weapons, when initiative is, is tied, get to strike first. So if I have a dagger, I'm going to get to strike first before a longsword. If I have a longsword, I'm going to get to strike first before someone that has a halberd and so on. And the thing to remember here is that this applies to only those uh combatants that actually have weapons. If you're using a natural attack like a claw or a bite or something like that, then you're going to go last after all other weapons go and those truly are simultaneous. Um, there are some little crunchy bits that if you are really so fast compared to your opponent that you can then do multiple attacks. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode when we talk about melee and the concept that melee is random person versus random person. But the thing to know right now is that initiative is tied. You as the DM are going to figure out who is facing who. You're going to ask them for their weapon speeds if they're using weapons. The person has the lower speed goes first. The person has the higher, slower speed goes second. Combat's adjudicated, and Bob's your uncle. And really, that's it for initiative, too. Again, to summarize, surprise is a base chance of 1 and 2 and 6. If you roll in 1 and 2 for your side, you're surprised for that number of rounds. For initiative, high roller wins. If you are casting spells or firing missiles, you may care about the segment that you start in and you'll check with your players and your DM to see how to proceed. That is it. Now, I gotta admit, I, when, when I kind of figured all this out and I wrote this up and, and I figured that you know this really is not, to me, that difficult, I was very pleased with myself. And so I started playing this with the players. I told them, okay, we're gonna do by the book combat. We have not found it to be any more or any less complicated 
once we've gotten used to the rules and once we've gotten used to thinking about things like that. Now, the players keep me honest because when they're casting spells and things are close and they really care about what's happening, they will call me on, okay, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is how long it's going to take. And can we get it off before the monsters do their thing and so on. Again, I highly recommend going to Osric, checking out those rules if uh, you need to uh, see it for yourself. And uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. A couple of things I've skipped here I did not talk about when a magic user is casting a spell and is being attacked by someone. Uh, we will cover that in a later episode because I think that's a that takes a little explaining and it's a little wonky as to how first edition does it. And I'll talk about my thoughts on that. And the next time we talk about AD&D combat, we're going to talk about moving in combat. We're going to talk about charges and, and how that affects things. And we're going to talk about how melee is adjudicated. Wow, I think I managed to... Third time's the charm. I think I managed to get this done. Um, I appreciate you all listening. I really appreciate the feedback I've been getting on the podcast. Um, I'm going to release a bonus episode later this week with some wonderful call-ins. If you want to give me a holler, there is the uh, <laughs> the Dungeon Master's Handbook hotline. The phone number is in the description of the podcast or it's in the uh, liner notes for this podcast. As well as if you want to leave a message for me, say, using uh, your browser, you can go ahead and click on the link to Anchor and leave me a message there. And I'll, I'll try to include your comments and my answers in a future episode. Okay, that's it for now. Until next time, game on.